read a couple things for you very quickly. And it says, Dear church family, thank you for the prayers, flowers, food, cards, and phone calls. The Lord Jesus has blessed me in so many ways uh, through actions of love and concern for me. And that's from Miss Gail Halterman. And uh, Miss Miss Gail, every single Sunday, and uh, Brother Don's here this morning somewhere uh, around the room, and uh, was helping out this morning greeting people. And so uh, we love Miss Gail and miss seeing her on Sundays. Uh, let me just let you know of a couple things upcoming next weekend. We have our men's conference, annual men's conference. It's called Makaira. And uh, men's conference, that's what the st- setup is on the stage and the big logo down front. Uh, Makaira, our annual men's conference. We have 295 men registered to be with us uh, for next weekend, next Friday evening and Saturday morning. Uh, but next Sunday morning, uh, one of our speakers from Makaira, Brother Bill Prater, is staying over on Sunday morning and will be preaching for us next Sunday. Sunday. Uh, we'll be having combined Sunday school in this room uh, for all the adult classes, and then uh, Brother Bill will be preaching in the main service, and I'm telling you that to let you know, number one, please come. <laughs> uh, number two, uh, I want you to invite somebody to be with you. Brother Bill has a very unique testimony, and we're calling next Sunday Grief Sunday uh, because of Brother Bill's testimony. He'll share his story with you. Uh, he preaches all around the country and gives this topic, and he wrote a book about it, and it's called How to Get Through What You'll Never Get Over. How to Get Through What You'll Never Get Over. And if you know someone who maybe has suffered a loss, maybe loss of a loved one, loss of a child, uh, going through a hardship right now, going through difficulty, I want you to invite them to next Sunday uh, to hear Pastor Bill Prater speak next Sunday morning, 1030. And uh, we're going to give everybody in attendance a copy of uh, Pastor Bill's book, How to Get Through What You'll Never Get Over. And uh, we're going to give everybody one of those next Sunday morning uh, and hope this will be a blessing. Maybe you read it and hand it to somebody who you know. Maybe you work with or a friend or a neighbor or colleague, uh, somebody you know that might be struggling. But that's next Sunday morning, and I want to invite you to be here next Sunday morning, 1030, whether you're in person, watching online. We'd love to have you join us next Sunday uh, for hearing Pastor Bill Prater for either the 930 Sunday School Hour or the 1030 main service. Love to have you. And don't forget, growth groups are tonight at 6 o'clock. We'll be back in our growth groups. One of the groups uh, last week had to move from upstairs down here. So if you were in that upstairs group that's meeting in that upstairs auditorium, you're now meeting in this main auditorium if you weren't here last week and missed the announcement. Psalm 98 is in still in the group of Psalms where they're all about pointing out praise to the Lord for the significant things that he's done and how he's over all things. But we see in this Psalm kind of a point forward in the future beyond the New Testament that really begins at the beginning of the New Testament. Imagine uh, going back in time for a moment, that young Jewish maiden, that young virgin named Mary, as she got the announcement from uh, the angel Gabriel that she was going to conceive and have a child. All of the questions of how is that even possible? What's that going to look like? uh, What will people say and think? And Remember, the angel reassured her, with God, all things are possible. The fact that God can do the things that we are incapable of doing. But as Mary shares her song of praise after she had time to process what was going on and uh, what was taking place, she goes uh, a few miles down the road to her cousin Elizabeth who is in the middle of her own miraculous uh, conception. And we see that she sings a song and it's very reminiscent of this psalm. In Psalm 98, talking about the Lord, her salvation. 
And when we think about that unique song, it reminds us that God has a plan in store for each of our lives, and He desires for you and I to share that plan. He desires us to not only know His plan for our life, but also to share His plan for us with other people. And you think about Mary had a word from God telling her His plan for her life. And it's no different with us today. We have a word from God, a word of God, that He desires to tell us His plan for our lives. But what are we going to do with it? Psalm 98, and verse number 1, if you don't have your Bible this morning, the verses will be on the screen. and I'll be reading this morning from the King James Version, but you can follow along in the screen. Psalm 98, verse number 1, it says, O sing unto the Lord a new song, for He hath done marvelous things. His right hand, His holy arm hath gotten Him the victory. The Lord hath made known His salvation. His righteousness hath he openly showed in the sight of the heathen. He hath remembered his mercy and his truth toward the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Verse number four, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. All the earth, make a loud noise and rejoice and sing praise. If you're following along this morning, I want you to write down in your notes, number one, the singing, the singing. Let's pray together this morning, and then we'll dive right in to our passage today. Father, we thank you so much for your word, and thank you for reminding us that we have a reason to rejoice today. Lord, the theme of all of the music, Lord, from the opening song all the way, uh, talking about it's almost over and it is finished, and I want to know you, uh, Lord, the center focus of every song that's been sung is all about Christ. Uh, Lord, from the baptism this morning, following you, following Christ in believer's baptism, Lord, the mission trip that the team just had this past week, sharing Christ with those in another country. Lord, everything that we see around us, everything that we hold dear to us points to a creator, points to someone who is greater than us. Lord, not only help us to recognize it today, but Lord, help us to share you today with other people. Lord, help us to be a willing vessel to share your plan for our lives with other people. Lord, ultimately, your plan is not just for us, Lord, it's for everyone. Lord, help us to share you, engage other people with the truth of the gospel message. Lord, if there's someone here today that doesn't know you as their Savior, please help them to see their greatest need is you. Lord, it is Christ that we've been singing about, that we've been talking about today. Lord, please speak to my heart. Please cleanse me of any sin unconfessed in my heart and life and use me in a special way this morning. Please bless our time together in Jesus' name. Amen. We see the singing, number one, the singing. God wants us to sing, but what is that song supposed to be about? Number one, we see it's supposed to be about the excellence. Uh, Andrew, if you'll walk up here real quick, Andrew Gibson, if you'll walk up here and catch that door right there, that door is propped open. Uh, If you'll close that, that's not very secure, Uh, but uh, we'll make sure that that is closed. Thank you, sir. Uh, Appreciate it. Slam it. There we go. All right. Thank you. Appreciate that. Uh, But the excellence that's mentioned in verse number one, it says, Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song, for he hath done marvelous things. If you were writing a song about the Lord today, if you had to take down a a pen and a piece of paper and write a song about him, what would you say? Uh, What would your theme of the song be? Would it be faith or love or hope or peace or grace? What would your song be about? 
Would you talk about his love, his mercy, his patience, his long-suffering faithfulness? David stated that the truth of this song was his marvelous things. He says, sing unto the Lord a new song, for he hath done marvelous things. He's done awesome things that only he's capable of doing. And he says it over and over again in the psalm, Psalm 139, verse 14. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. Psalm 118, 23, our theme verse from a couple years ago. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. The fact that this is a new song shows us that we're not used to singing this song. There was a day and time when you and I didn't have this song in our heart. There was a day and time in each of our lives before we encountered the Lord that we didn't know this song. That we didn't have this song in our lives to sing. And maybe you came to church before you received Christ as your Savior and you heard people singing, you saw people raising your hands, and you saw people weeping and singing these songs of the faith, and you thought, what is wrong with those people? What is wrong with them? Now, why am I even here? These people are crazy. But when you receive Christ for yourself, when you encounter the Lord, something changed. You were given a new song. And David says, I sing unto the Lord a new song. This is something significant, special. But when we sing, do we sing like it's the first time? You remember right after you encountered Jesus, how singing was totally different? Now all of a sudden, hey, I know what I'm singing about. I know who finished the work. I know, hey, when you say, I want to know him, it's not, I want to know who. I mean, <laughs> I don't even know who you're talking about. It, it, I, I know that they're talking about the Lord. It was a new song, and it was sung in a new way because you understood what you were singing about. But are you still singing that way? 5, 10, 15, 30 years later, are you still singing with that fervor and that passion like it's a brand new song? But if you fast forward in the time period of what this psalm is projecting and what it's talking about, this is talking about the millennial reign of Christ. It's talking about a new song that we don't even know about. And what will be new in that day? What will be different? We think about the time period that we live in right now in that age of grace, that church age. And we think about the millennial reign of Christ. What will be different? Everything. Everything will be different. Because there will be a king on the throne that we can see. Now we know that there's a king on the throne right now, but we can't see him. We see him through eyes of faith, not our physical eyes. But then everyone will know who the king is. It'll be a time when everyone will know that he is the one. It says, his right hand and his holy arm hath gotten him the victory. A time of peace with a new king on the throne, uh, his rightful throne. But here's the question this morning for all of us. Why do we have to wait until that day to praise him? Why can't we praise him now? Psalm 150 verse 6 or 106 verse 1. Praise ye the Lord. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord for he is good for his mercy endureth forever. Psalm 95 and verse 1. Oh, come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Psalm 150 verse 6. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. All of us should stop and praise him. Amen. And here's the question. When we think about who he is. And what he does, is there anyone that deserves the praise more than him? When we think about who he is, he's God of the universe. He's the Savior of our lives. And what he does, 
He protects us. He loves us. He sustains us. He gives us all of these blessings. What he does. I mean, hey, let's just stop and say, he doesn't just sustain us. Sometimes he takes us to the woodshed. And that's something to be thankful for as well. Now remember, no chastening in the present is joyous. Hey, when you were a kid and your mom and dad was uh, applying the, uh, the uh, belt of understanding to the seat of learning... When you were getting spanked, that wasn't fun. Hey, mom, dad, three more, three more. You know, it's just, I, I, there's so much fun. <laughs> yeah. uh, I hope you didn't say that. Uh, but think about when that was going on, that wasn't fun. But we look back now and say, man, I sure am glad that I had a mom and dad who cared enough about me, who loved me enough to show me what was right and wrong, to point me in the right direction. And sometimes we look at the Lord and say, God, why are you doing this in my life? Why am I suffering? Why am I going through this hard time? What are you trying to do? And we look back and say, man, I sure am glad glad that God loved me enough and showed me he loved me by correcting me when I was wrong, correcting me in those moments. He deserves that praise. We see, uh, number one, the excellence. Number two, we see the encouragement. Look at verse 2 and 3. The Lord hath made known his salvation. His righteousness has he openly showed in the sight of the heathen. He hath remembered his mercy and his truth toward the house of Israel. All of these things that we're reminded, it's encouraging. He doesn't have to show us his mercy and truth, but he does. He doesn't have to be a loving, good, and gracious God, but aren't we glad that he is? It's encouraging to know that He is merciful, that He is loving, that He has proven His love for us. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4 and 5. But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. But many times we have to see mercy on display to understand it. Sometimes we're called to extend mercy. Sometimes we're shown mercy, but there's a reason that we've been given mercy and a reason we've been called to extend mercy. Years ago, H.M. Stanley journeyed to Africa. The year was 1869, and his purpose was to find the infamous missionary David Livingston. He was sent by a newspaper, the New York Herald, and uh, told, that's who Stanley worked for, and he was, told they were, he was told to find Livingston and encourage him to come back. He had been there for years, and he had served the Lord for many, many years, and they wanted him to come back home. It was time. Hey, you, you've done your part. You, you've been here. You've served the Lord. It's, it's time to come back home. Stanley found Livingston in the jungle after searching for him and asked him the question that we've probably all heard at some point in our lives. He asked him after seeing him, he kind of stood out in the middle of the jungle, but stood out and he said, Dr. Livingston, I presume, asked him that famous question. And Livingston refused to leave with H.M. Stanley. So Stanley decided to stay, stayed for five months in Africa. He wrote down in his journal about that trip and he said this, in 1871, I went to him as prejudiced as the biggest atheist in London. 
to a reporter and correspondent such as I, who had only to deal with wars and mass meetings and political gatherings, sentimental matters were entitled to entirely out of my province. But there came for me a long time for reflection. I was out there away from a worldly world. I saw this solitary old man there and asked myself, how on earth does he stop here? Is he cracked or what? What is it that inspires him? For months after we met, I simply found myself listening to him, wondering at the old man carrying out all that was said in the Bible. Leave all things and follow me. But little by little, his sympathy for others became contagious. My sympathy was aroused seeing his piety, his gentleness, his zeal, his earnestness, and how he went quietly about his business. I was converted by him, although he had not tried to do it. I was converted although he had not tried to do it. How does that happen? By someone living out mercy and truth. Someone living out what we see in verse number 3. He hath remembered his mercy and his truth. Think about the impact of a testimony that's lived out for others. John Broger said, Loving others in a biblical manner involves your thoughts, words, and actions and is a sign of your being a disciple of Christ. And then he said this, Loving others biblically is dependent on your commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ and is not dependent on people, circumstances, or your feelings. Oh, pastor, when I feel good enough, I'll serve Jesus. It probably won't happen. Oh, pastor, when my circumstances change, I'll serve the Lord. Not likely. Uh, Pastor, when these people are in my house, when they get out, I'll, I'll serve Jesus. It probably won't happen. If you can't be faithful in the now and now, how can you be faithful in the by and by? If you're not going to be faithful with what God has given you today, How can it be said that you'll be faithful then? Are we a living example of mercy and truth? Luke 6, 32 and 33. For if ye love them which love you, what thank have ye? For sinners also love those that love them. And if ye do good to them which do good to you, what thank have ye? For sinners also do even the same. It's easy to love people who love you back. Hey, that takes no effort at all. The lost world can do that. It takes mercy and grace and truth to love people who don't love you back. It takes an understanding that, hey, if they hated Jesus, they're probably going to hate me. And it takes us to a different level. See, Christian love is going out of your way for those who don't deserve it. Just like Jesus did for us. When he went to the cross for those who don't deserve it. That's what Jesus did for us. And that's what Jesus did for you. He went out of his way to show genuine love. Greater love is no man than this. 
that a man lay down his life for his friends. But can you show, are you showing? How about with your next door neighbor? And when they turn up the music a little bit too loud after 10 o'clock, when they, their dogs run over into your yard, uh, when their dog does their business in your yard, uh, when, when all of these, and my neighbors don't do that, by the way, uh, but uh, when, when all of these things happen in your neighborhood, are you showing Christian love? How about when the boss man or boss lady yells at you tomorrow for something you didn't do? Can you show Christian love? How about when your spouse gets on you for something you didn't even do? Or your kids get on your last nerve? You only really have one, but uh, when, when they get on your last nerve, can you show Christian love? Hey, Christian love is going out of your way for those who don't deserve it. Just like Jesus did for us by dying on the cross for those that don't deserve it. We see the encouragement. And then we see, number three, the expectation. Look at verse number four. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. When we think about praising the Lord, there is an expectation of our involvement. Expectation. He has done so much, the least we can do is say thank you. The least we can do is praise Him. Remember the story from Luke chapter 17 of the ten lepers? Verse number 14, when he saw them, he said, Go show yourself unto the priest. And it came to pass as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God. I always think that's interesting that he glorified God vocally. He didn't just go, <laughs> Loud voice. And 16, and fell down at his face at his feet and giving him thanks. He was a Samaritan. He was an outcast. He wasn't one of the approved, frozen, chosen. He was one of the outcasts. And Jesus answered, said, I love the question. Were there not ten cleansed? Jesus said, hey, I I healed ten people. Where's the nine? Now we see after this that God dealt with the one. And I'm glad that God deals with the one. But he shows us what he expects. He expects all the praise. Every person. Remember that verse, Psalm 150, verse 6, the last verse of the Psalms. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. You understand that also means those who don't profess him as Savior and Lord. Let everything. He deserves the praise even from them. He deserves it. Jesus points that out. He doesn't just expect it. He deserves it. Keith Getty said, Your singing on Sunday will bear witness to the Savior of the world and fuel your witness through the week to the Savior of the world. What we sing about on Sunday, can we sing at work on Monday? What we sing about on Sunday, is it real enough on Wednesday? Can we sing? But then number two this morning, we see the sounding. Look at verse 5 through 9. See three things here. Number one, we see the contraptions. I don't think I've ever used that word in a message before. Contraptions. The contraptions. Three kinds of instruments mentioned here in verse 5 and 6. It says, sing unto the Lord with a harp. We see a stringed instrument. We see the voice of psalm. We see verse number 6 with trumpets. That's a metal instrument. And then we see the sound of a cornet, a horn. Three different types of instruments. We've got the strings, we've got the, uh, the metal, we've got the horns. It shows us that instruments are okay for worship. Isn't that an amazing truth? Instruments are okay. 
And these are not some that are uh, off limits and some are okay and some are not. All of them are acceptable. Uh, You won't find the word piano in the scripture, but I'm sure glad that we can use it today. Uh, We see all of these different things, but what you do find are instruments where the focus is not on the musician. The focus is on the song that they're singing and who they're singing about. All of, remember, verse number one, sing unto the Lord a new song. The emphasis is on the song. The, the emphasis is on who we're singing about. When we think about if God's blessed with, uh, blessed someone with a gift, we should want them to use it. Let uh, having those people use what God has given them. And that might not mean that you say, well, pastor, you know, I can play a little bit. I can play Amazing Grace on the kazoo. That might not mean that you play it on a Sunday morning. That might not mean that you lead worship. But will you use your gift? Would the fact of just not being up here say, well, you know, if I can't do it up there, then I'm not going to use it at all. That means that you have more say-so over your gift than God does. And remember, he's the giver of the gift. Just a, a side note, he's the giver and taker of things. So if we don't use what he's given... He could take what he's given. Just something to think about. Psalm 150, verse 3. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the psaltery and harp. Praise him with the timbrel and dance. Ooh, got a little nervous there. All the Baptists are like, oh, pastor, skip that verse. Uh, Praise him with the timbrel and dance. But David wrote it, and it's there, and God said it's okay to put there, so it's there. Uh, Timbrel and dance. Praise him with stringed instruments and organs. Praise him upon the loud cymbals. Not the you know, loud cymbals. Praise him upon the high-sounding cymbals. See, the focus is not on the instrument. It's on who is being exalted with the instrument. That's what worship is all about. Because if you're more focused on the instrument and the sound it makes... You're missing the whole point of worship. I don't like what that sound does. You know, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. You're missing the point of worship. I know, I understand that there's a sacred cow in church. Sacred, y'all know what that is? Sacred cow. Those are things that no, they're a taboo we don't talk about. And we're never bringing in the church because, we, man, that's awful. We, won't, we don't do that. Pastor, this is an independent fundamental Baptist church. We don't do that. But think about the fact, I know a sacred cow is drums. I know it. And there's people in the room that know it. I'm personally not against them. Personally. And I still love you. And I hope you still love me. I'm personally not against them. I think they add an element to the service. But I also wouldn't want a drummer who puts the spotlight on them. Any more than I would want a piano player or a guitarist or a bassist or a cajonist to put the spotlight on them. It doesn't matter what the instrument is. It matters where the spotlight is. That is the point. And it doesn't say, Pastor, man, I, I play. Hey, that's awesome. Praise the Lord. Where can we put you? But... Think about the fact that it's not about uh, most of our preconceived feelings on instruments, no matter what they are, is, man, we've seen somebody in a rock and roll band with long hair, and they're just getting down with it, and, man, that, that should not be in the church. But the spotlight is on them. It's not on Jesus. 
What about if God gifts someone with an ability to play an instrument that might not be your flavor, but God has gifted them, and they have the right spirit and the right attitude and the right temperament, and the spotlight is on Jesus, why shouldn't they play it? And why shouldn't they play it in a place that exalts Jesus? That should be a good thing, right? Oh, but pastor, we don't do that here. Why don't we do it here? Because if we don't do it here, where else are they going to go and play that instrument and exalt Jesus? Why not do it around God's people? Oh, pastor's getting ready to buy a drum set. No, I'm not saying that. Not saying that. But what I am saying is we should encourage musicians to put all of the spotlight on Jesus, not on the instrument that they play. And even though the instruments are listed here in verse 5 and 6, the beginning of verse 5 is the key. Sing unto the Lord. There's the emphasis. Before you even get to the instruments, the emphasis is on the Lord. Just as it should be. And I, I have it in my notes and I'll say it. And I might get criticized later. But I can't promise we won't ever have drums here. <gasps> I can't promise. But here's the thing. If you came up and said, God's gifted me. And you have the right temperament and spirit. And hey, God's blessed me. And I want all the focus to be on Jesus. I'm going to point you to that guy right there and say, go talk to him and get used. Because it's all about Him. It's never been about them. You understand that, right? Church has never been about us. It's all been, always been about exalting the Savior. Primary. Primary. Uh, we see the contraptions. Maybe that's what you call those things. Uh, just uh, contraptions. Uh, just contraptions. The number two, we see the creation. Verse 7. Let the sea roar. And the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Verse 8, let the floods clap their hands. There should be noise at church. Hey, creation, hey, if creation makes noise out there, why can't creation make noise in here? If creation makes noise out there, why can't his creation make noise in here? Now, that's who we are. We're created to praise the Lord. Let everything that hath breath. That means that if God gave you a breath, there should be some praise in that breath. There should be some praise in that breath. But what was creation doing? They were pointing to his authority. What was it about Jesus and his teaching that stood out, Matthew 7, verse 29. For he taught them as one having what? Authority. Mark chapter 1, verse 22. They were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority. What's being recognized in verse 7 and 8 by nature? His authority. That's who he is. But right at the end of verse 7, we see our part. It says, let the sea roar, the fullness thereof the world, and... They that dwell therein. We're supposed to recognize, church, his authority. That means that we do things his way and not our way. 
Jesus said in Luke 6, 46, Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things I say? There is certain, a certain principle. It's in the Bible about lordship. And if you claim him as your Lord, you're also saying that I'm going to do what he says. And how can we say that if we don't live what this book says? Because this is where we find what he says. To do what he says. We see in verse number 8, nature today is wild because of sin. Our world is living under the curse of sin. But when you get to verse number 8, you don't see the curse of sin evident. Let the hills be joyful together. That doesn't look like a sin-cursed world. That looks like a peace-filled world. Why? Because the curse of sin has been broken. Remember, this is the millennial reign of Christ we're talking about. This is a time period of perfect peace. When the curse is removed, paradise will be restored. And that's the day when all of God's people can say, Amen, because we're going to be there. We see the contraption, the creation, and lastly this morning we see the consideration. Look at verse 9, last verse, Before the Lord, for He cometh to judge the earth. With righteousness shall He judge the world, and the people with equity. See, when we see the judging mentioned here, it's not the judging where we're standing before the Lord getting judged. In the timeline of events, the judgment seat of Christ has already taken place. The reign of Christ is now in full effect. The judging that we're talking about here is when Jesus is sitting on his throne as the judge and ruler of the universe. He is the king who never makes a mistake, who never does things wrong, who never judges in a false manner. This is the time period. Remember, Abraham said in Genesis 18 verse 25, Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? See, he is going to do that which is right. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? That's why we sing. That's why we live. That's why we trust in his holiness. Because he will always do that which is right. You know, think about the comparison and the consideration. I consider that he is a holy and righteous judge. Therefore, I am put at peace because he knows me and I know him. I'm not worried about the judgment, what he meets out, because he's my Savior. He judged my sin at the cross. I'm not worried about being judged in that day because he is looking out for me. I know that. It's kind of like if you said, hey, I want you to pick someone to protect you. I want you to pick someone to protect you. And Josiah, Josiah is in here somewhere. Uh, he's all right, right over there. Come here, Josiah. All right. Let's talk about consideration. Consideration. Come here, Josiah. Now, Josiah and I had this conversation right before church. And he said, he said, the only reason you call me up here is so you can make fun of me. I said, absolutely. You're smart. So smart. I said, not only that, but your mom and dad are okay with you being embarrassed too on stage. <laughs> so that's the reason. So if you said, all right. Pick a protector. Now, let's be honest. I love Josiah. But is Josiah the most likely candidate to get chosen to be my protector? There it is. Dad over there speaking words of wisdom. Words of wisdom. All right. So 
Josiah is not the most likely candidate, all right? But if I was looking around the room, all right, Keith, come up here. All right? Yeah. Remember? Consider. Consideration. All right? The word. Now, is it more likely if I get to choose somebody to watch over me and protect me? And I know it's a comical illustration, but here's, here's the truth of the matter. If Keith is available, I'm not picking Josiah. And if Dave had to choose, Dave isn't picking Josiah, all right? Dave might pick Christy uh, at this point. Uh, but we think about consideration, consider. When I consider the judge of all the earth, hey, I can say, you know what? I don't need a judge. And by doing so, I'm essentially picking Josiah. Hey, I don't need a judge. I'm going to do that myself. And we would look at somebody who'd say that and say, that was a foolish choice. When the other option is someone who is bigger and stronger and more mighty than Josiah. And when I pick a protector, I don't want someone who is smaller and weaker. That's not a bad thing. Because it's comparison here. All right? Smaller and weaker, I want a strong option. I I want the strongest option I can get. And it's the same way when I think about a judge. Hey, I'm not going to pick someone who is weak. Hey, I'm good. I don't need anybody. I need a judge. And I need a judge that is the most powerful and the most holy. And the most righteous. And the one who, here it is church, loves me. And the one who's already proven his love for me. That's the judge that I want. I don't want the weak judge. The one who is prone to wander. The one who says, now you get a pass. I want the one who judges rightly. And he, hey church, that's the judge. That we will all stand before one day. But after we stand before him, those who are saved, he's our king. He's the one who oversees all things. And will always judge rightly. Thank you guys. Appreciate your help. But think about today. Maybe you're here and you're not ready for that day. Say, Pastor, you know, that reigning thing of Christ, that millennial reign, I don't know that I'm ready for that. I don't know that I'm confident that I'm ready for that day. Hey, You need to be ready for that day because ready or not, it's coming. It's coming. And you and I get the choice of whether or not to be prepared for that day. And you have to make that decision for yourself. Maybe you're here this morning, you don't know Christ as your Savior. But I would encourage you and challenge you. Hey, don't let another day go by without having that settled in your mind. It's not about what you've done, your good works, baptism, church membership. It's all about Christ alone. By grace alone through faith, that saves us. Not anything that we can concoct in ourselves. It's all about what He has done and what He offers to us. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Sing unto the Lord a new song. Do you have that new song in your heart? Do you have that new song in your life today? Has there been a time in your life where you have trusted Christ as your personal Savior? We're going to sing in just a moment that song in Christ alone. We sang it a little while ago in the service.
But maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your Savior. You don't know that heaven is your home. You're not convinced that if you died, you'd be on your way to heaven. You don't know that. Uh, Can I challenge you to search your heart and answer that question for yourself? Do I know that Jesus is my Savior? See, you might be like I was when I was a teenager. I had grown up in church. I had heard about Jesus all my life. I knew the story. I knew some of the Bible. But I didn't know Jesus is my Savior. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you've grown up in church, or maybe you teach a Sunday school class. Maybe you're involved. Maybe you serve, but you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior. You've never had that encounter with the Lord. Salvation is so simple. It's all about acknowledging that you are a sinner, recognizing that you have a sin problem that only Jesus can answer, that he died on the cross to pay for your sin. You don't have to pay your own sin debt. He died for you. He rose for you and is ready to forgive if you'll simply ask for forgiveness. And if you're here this morning, if you've not done that, man, let me challenge you right now, there in your seat, you can talk to the Lord. You don't need somebody to go before you and uh, pray for you. You pray yourself. You don't need a mediator. You have one. Jesus is our mediator. You talk directly to him. Talk to him and tell him that you know that you're a sinner and that you believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead for your sin and then ask him to forgive you of your sin and be your savior. That's what salvation is all about. It is really that simple. The Bible says so. If you've not done that, let me challenge you. Take just a moment and talk to him about your greatest need. If you have done that, let me ask you this. Are you singing that new song? Is he the Lord of your life? Is he the one who has the final say-so over all things concerning you? And if he's not, let me encourage you, talk to him. Ask him to forgive you for not letting him have the reins. And then surrender to him. Whatever that looks like, surrender to his will for your life. That's what his desire is for you. That's his plan. When he spoke to Mary, the angel spoke to Mary that evening She ended the conversation with, be it unto me, according to thy word. She submitted herself to God's plan. And maybe that's you this morning. You need to submit yourself to God's plan, whatever that looks like. And if you pray and ask him to show it to you, he will. He'll show you his plan for your life. But it's one day at a time, step by step. Maybe you're here this morning, you need to take a step. Whatever your next step would be, our personal workers are down front or in the back. Would love to take the Bible and encourage you, pray with you, whatever your spiritual need is. We're here for you today. And the altar is going to be open. And if you need to come and pray, you can come and pray this morning. Whatever God leads you to do today, you follow his direction. Father, please bless our time of invitation and use it according to your will. Lord, as we sing this song in Christ alone, help it not just to be words that we say, but Lord, help it to be an attitude of our heart and how we live. Lord, help it to be a reflection of how we're living right now. Lord, a reflection of who we are as followers of Christ. Lord, this should be our anthem. In Christ alone, my hope is found. Lord, I ask that you please do a work in our hearts. If there's someone here today that doesn't know you as their Savior, maybe they're clinging on to the past or they're clinging on to a decision that they made that they don't remember or something that someone told them about and they have no knowledge of it and they're holding on to hope that someone shared with them. Lord, help them to have that hope within themselves and make that decision today. Today is the day of salvation. 
Lord, I ask that you please speak to hearts as only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with us.